Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Portland True Blue is a diarist, a poster, a blogger over at dailycoes.com, uh, which is a fabulous, you know, Marcos Melitzis' uh, blog. Portland True Blue wrote a, I don't know, five-paragraph, six-paragraph piece that went up on their blog today that really touched me, and I want to share it with you. Because I think that we so easily disconnect ourselves. We, I mean, 300,000 people are dead. Multiple millions of people are going to be permanently disabled from this virus. But somehow, you know, we've stopped applauding at 7 o'clock every night, the nurses and doctors and whatnot. So let me just read this. Just off four back-to-back shifts, all between 13 to 16 hours each. This is a person who's working in the big hospital here in Portland where two of my kids work. Two days off and then back, and so it goes, day in, day out. Our unit is settled into a grim routine. New patients come in, old patients leave, about 40% in a morgue trolley. I feel like a zombie. My emotions have been walled off in an effort to preserve my remaining sanity. I got home at 2 a.m. this morning and have two days off. I got an emergency request to work, but I just can't. I have nothing left to give. I have a new procedure. When I get in my car to drive home, I turn the volume all the way up and just scream until there's no more grief or anger or voice left. I howl and cry for every death, for the losses suffered by the loved ones left behind, and for the evil ignorance that has made the situation so much worse than it needed to be. Most nights and mornings, I don't even remember the drive home. The number of patients each RN is treating is above the guidelines. We have no choice. Part of a nurse is better than no nurse at all. Several nurses are out with COVID, no return dates specified. Patient care suffers. Welcome to COVID triage. I've been working as a primary nursing resource. When there's an emergency, I respond to aiding the treating RN. It tests my brain and my skills, not a job for the faint of heart. At the end of shift, my brain is tired. It's not a headache. It's an exhausted brain screaming for a break. Last night, one of our most experienced ECMO RNs asked for help. They did not like some troubling rhythms the patient was throwing. As soon as I entered the room, the patient started bradying down. I was shouting the numbers while the other nurse administered atropine. We pulled off an amazing save, drew blood, and got the patient to CT. The vent and ECMO had to be disconnected, and the patient hand-ventilated with a bag. There I was, on the bed, astride the patient, hand-ventilating as we sped down the hall to CT. The patient was admitted about five days ago with a lung function of 25%, the bottom of the scale for ECMO. Now at 15%, not a good sign at all. There'll be another CT in 24 hours. Unless there's improvement, that patient will be removed from ECMO and will die. Even when you save a patient, they still die. It's so hard. Another patient, a teenager, has been here several months. This patient is COVID-free but has MODS and has suffered irreparable damage to her heart, kidneys, and lungs. At least the patient is out of isolation, so a few family members can be there as the patient passes. That patient is scheduled to go to comfort care as soon as family arrived this morning. I expect the patient has passed by now. A young, healthy kid taken out, a heartbroken family. This is the stuff that gets to a nurse. I'm sure every nurse has similar stories. I wish other nurses would share their experiences. It's important for the general population to realize just how critical the situation is. I don't expect to change anyone's mind. By now they're hardwired. I want those that believe in science 
who know COVID is not a hoax to remain vigilant. I truly try to keep politics out of my diaries, but watching Trump worrying about toilets, showers, and dishwashers while an American dies every 40 seconds just crushes my soul. I used to believe that humans were innately good, and given a choice, the vast majority would choose to do what was best for their fellow humans. I have lost that core belief, and it's irreparably damaged my spirit. I will go on, because I'm a nurse. I care for the sick, and sometimes the dying. I am a nurse. It's what I do and who I am. God bless every healthcare worker. Please stay safe and stay sane. I howl and cry for every death, for the losses suffered by the loved ones left behind, and for the evil ignorance that has made the situation so much worse. Well, sadly, it's even worse than that. We now know that in April, after the reports came out that the majority of the deaths were happening among minority populations, particularly African Americans, after the news came out that most of the deaths were happening in blue states, that the crises were happening in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, that it had not spread to red states and rural areas yet. When that news came out, a decision was made in the White House to not only do nothing about the virus. Prior to that, there was a plan to do something. The post office was ready to send five masks to every American. They had been ordered. This was stopped. There was a plan to test, to use the presidential power to order testing for all Americans and contact tracing. That was stopped. And as a result, right now, we have 921 deaths per million from COVID, whereas China has three deaths per million from COVID and South Korea has 12 deaths per million from COVID. This is not the result of ignorance. This is the result of a, of a specific decision that was made by these Trump humpers in the White House, by the quack doctor from Fox News, Scott Atlas. He actually didn't make the decision. He was promoting this on Fox News after the decision was made and Trump brought him in and said, oh, he's one of us. We need to have some sort of a tribunal. We need to have some sort of a trial for these people. This is manslaughter on a mass scale. And it's manslaughter on a mass scale that, at least in the beginning, was intentionally done thinking about, hey, look at African-Americans. They're the ones that, that's called genocide. Mitch McConnell, privately with a group of Republicans. This leaked out and the Washington Post reported on it and the Republicans are going, yep, that's what he said. Sure enough. Mitch McConnell told the Republicans, we've got to pass some sort of a giveaway to working people, you know, some kind of COVID relief here. We've got to do this or Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue are not going to get elected down in Georgia. They are taking a beating down there because we're not doing anything. I think probably every Republican understands is the only reason that Mitch McConnell allowed any sort of relief to pass the Senate. Because up until two weeks ago, he was blocking everything and had been since May. In May, the House of Representatives passed the HEROES Act, $3 trillion bill that would have helped keep state and local governments together, that would have helped keep workers together, that would have offered small businesses really, I mean, just right across the board. It was an extraordinary piece of legislation. And he refused to even hold a hearing on it. Then a month later, they passed a $2 trillion version, and he refused to hold a hearing on that. And he has simply refused to even hold discussions about COVID relief. And two weeks ago was about the time that Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff both started climbing in the polls above their Republican challengers. And at that point, Mitch McConnell was, hey, we got to help these Republicans out in Georgia. Let's throw the, the rabble a bone. But what does McConnell say when he walks out on the floor of the Senate to announce that? He says, a few days ago, with the new president-elect of their own party, everything changed. 
Democrats suddenly came around to our position that we should find consensus, make law where we agree, get urgent help out the door. No, Mitch, stop lying to us. This had nothing to do with Joe Biden being elected president. It has everything to do with Mitch McConnell wanting to keep his control of the Senate. It's just that simple. Meanwhile, Joe Wilson, remember the guy who yelled, you lie at Barack Obama? This man who covered himself in shame and humiliation. He is a Republican congressman from South Carolina. And he had posted this thing on Facebook with a picture of himself saying, today I'm in Washington, despite the elements in a pandemic, to vote safely and constitutionally. Unfortunately, House Democrats still stay at home, avoiding their constitutional duty by voting by proxy. This is what Mark Pocan is doing, you know, in the last vote. He's, he had actually heart bypass surgery. The House passed a rule saying if you can't show up in person because of health issues, you can vote by proxy. In other words, you can call up another member of Congress and say, will you please vote on my behalf? I'll give you a written authorization, and that person will walk over and push the button for them. So Joe Wilson is saying, this is why I co-sponsored the No Pay for Proxy Act. If millions of Americans could go back to work, so can members of Congress. In other words, he wants to cut off the pay to the Democrats who don't want to get infected. Well, Joe Wilson, a couple days ago, deleted that tweet. Why? Because Joe Wilson, who's 73 years old, the guy who yelled, you lie, at Barack Obama during the State of the Union address, just tested positive for COVID. I confess to a certain amount of schadenfreude. On the other hand, I hope that you know he does not suffer permanent injury or death. We don't need any more people injured or killed. And hopefully he will become one of those Republicans who has woken up, you know, like Chris Christie's out there saying, hey, idiots, wear a mask. <laughs> don't make the stupid mistake I made. Hopefully he'll become one of them. Linda in Coconut Creek, Florida. Hey, Linda, what's up? This Jones, where they drew the guns on her and raided her house for what they think is she did something illegal. She didn't do anything wrong. Ron DeSantis is going after her because she spoke the truth. She's given us it's real numbers. It, absolutely. Because she told him out front, and this was a war going on. This has been going on since the beginning of this. He asked her, and it was all over the sunset now, he was telling her, well, fudge the numbers. She says, I'm not going to fudge the numbers. He told her, then you're going to get fired. She says, okay, fine, fire me. I'll set up my own website, which is exactly what she did. She stole nothing from anybody. She has her connections within the health department, and people are calling her with real numbers and people that are getting infected and people that are dying. And she breaks it down per county. She also breaks down who's in violation. This restaurant in this particular county has too many people in there. It's it's sort of like you're kind of ratting out somebody that's not doing the right thing. Yeah. He, he told her, see, and he didn't like that. And then she was also telling right. people to wear a mask. You know, you can bring the infection down, close down the state is what set him off. When she told him, you need to shut the state down, he refused. He's never shut the state down. He doesn't tell anyone to wear a right. mask. And, the, you know, this is why that was when she well worked over for a him, million right? people. Yeah, when she worked for him. And it was an all right, you would read about it in the Sun Sentinel. And if you look at her numbers, we're 1,143,000. We had 96 deaths two days ago, we had 8,400 people that had, this is a site that's two days old now, 8,400 people that were infected, okay, and over 19,000 deaths. And she, she breaks it all down, and it's p by pure donations. I always donated to it because you pick up the Sun Sentinel, oh, we're only at 900-something. And she, she's, like, very accurate. She's not making the numbers up, and that's why he's mad at her. And he, she's going to win her case. I'm not worried about that, but mm. it's the way that they did it to her. They're shaming her, and they yeah. drew guns on her kids, and that's wrong, Tom. That's just wrong. Yeah, I saw the video so of I that last night on MSNBC. It was on Chris Hage's show, and it uh, might have been on Rachel's show as well. I'm with you, Linda. It's horrible. You want to toss her website out here so that anybody who's listening can go check it out? Talking about the woman in Florida who has her, been maintaining this website. is COVID positive people. Florida COVID action is what it's called. The main okay, website, so and that's, that's FloridaCovidAction.com. Florida COVID it hasn't been activated right. in two days. I don't know if they're getting ready to pull it down, but go ahead and take a look at it. Right. You'll find it fascinating. 
Yeah, and she's Rebecca Jones, as I recall. R-E-B-E-K-A-H is how she spells it, in fact. Now I remember. Um, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Linda, for filling in some of the holes there, and appreciate it. Great to hear from you. Thank you. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's up? Mr. Hartman, happy holidays to you and your family, first off. Thank you. And Back at you. You had said something earlier. I wanted to make a comment about the COVID vaccine, but I, I did want to comment very briefly. On a comment to you that uh, uh, made earlier, basically a rant about the three possibilities of Trump's essential, I'm paraphrasing, scorched earth policy. Was he purposefully trying, purposefully trying to sabotage the country? Uh, was he in, uh, uh, you know, did he owe money to other countries? Or was he trying to leave the proverbial steaming turd on the Biden administration's doorstep? And I suggest to you or submit to you that, uh, you know, multiple things can be true at the same time. Huh? It's all of the above. So, yeah, I think you you're see? right. And, yeah. and maybe some more stuff you didn't name. In any event, <clears throat> With the COVID vaccine, it's a real conundrum for me. First of all, I have a pre-existing condition that is fairly serious. And I've talked to a lot of people that represent the demographic that I belong to. And, of course, that particular demographic, as you have very pointedly pointed out on a number of occasions, has been disproportionately affected by this pandemic. And now we have a vaccine. Here's the problem, Tom. Half of the people that I've talked to that represent that demographic, this country's history of experimenting on people that look like me. I wanted to kind of put that out there and uh, your listeners and the public know that this is a real problem, because if the country is going to get to a point where there's, quote unquote, herd immunity, you're going to have to have a certain high percentage of people that have taken this vaccine. And I've got to tell you, I, for a number of reasons, are reluctant to take it. And and you would think that I would be probably one of the people that would be uh, most enthusiastic about it. But I just I've got some real concerns. What are your thoughts on that? The uh, Pfizer vaccine was not developed in the United States. It was invented by a Turkish couple, a man and woman who were Turkish immigrants to Germany, a couple of scientists. They had a little company there. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't recall the name of it right off the top of my head. That company either entered into a joint marketing agreement or was acquired by Pfizer. And then Pfizer scaled up the production all around the world for that vaccine. But it was done with German money by a Turkish couple of color. They weren't black, but they were, you know, Middle Eastern. So that might help. I don't know, that might reassure some people. I'm enthusiastic about the vaccine myself, Kanya. I'm sorry, we, we're hitting the break. You wanna make a quick comment here before we go? No, sir. I just want you to have a safe holiday season. I'll catch you at the beginning of 2021. Okay, great. I look forward to it. I wish you and your family all the very best. It's always so nice to hear from you, Kanya. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I think the fact that this uh, Pfizer vaccine was actually developed, invented by people of color, needs to be promoted. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Gunnar in Iceland? Hey, Gunnar, what's up? Yeah, hi, man. 
I don't know if you remember me, but you interviewed me, I think, in Iceland several years ago when I was a journalist Are you, the reporter? for the Icelandic Broadcasting. Yeah. I remember it very well, Gunnar. It's great to hear from you. What's up? It's just great to check in back with you. I've been watching you all these years since and uh, never had the opportunity or reason really to call you in. But great show you've been doing. Thank you. So what's on your mind? What's on my mind right now yeah. is the distribution of the COVID vaccine. By the way, you called me um, a social democrat last time that uh, you introduced me while I was a reporter. But mm-hmm. since then, I actually switched parties and went to the Pirate Party and went to Parliament for them for a few years. So oh, very um, cool. So you're a pirate yeah, now, too. But, uh, yeah, but I'm back to reporting now. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, so the you're reporting about right the vaccine in, in Iceland? There's a problem? Yeah, there's a huge problem because we had these early agreements with all these companies, Pfizer and all these companies, about delivering vaccines. And mm-hmm. our government was really happy to report these signings and even showing them on TV and everything. But it turns out they neglected one small detail in the in the agreements, which is the delivery date. Hmm. So we're not actually getting the vaccines as early as any other country, really. We're going to get them pretty late. Oh, my. And I think this is actually a problem in several other countries, especially outside the European Union. I know the European Union has good schedule now, and uh, the UK as well. And, and I believe America is getting its vaccines. I've seen figures from Canada that they have like five times more vaccines than they have populations. So they're going to be distributing them around the world. But in Iceland, we just got numbers up. We, we have the right numbers of vaccines, but we have no idea when we're going to get them. And I think that's going to be an issue, not just in in, in uh, individual countries in Europe, but in states in America, probably. Oh, it, it is already, and, and particularly rural areas. And this is becoming a problem. Uh, there was a really good piece about this in the Financial Times a couple of days ago about how the rich countries, essentially, because these the companies that make the vaccines are for-profit corporations, and they're basically saying whoever gives us the best price first and the most money up front is first mm-hmm. in line. And so countries that mm-hmm. have smaller budgets or uh, smaller purchases, uh, I mean, I, b- I believe your population is, is uh, fewer than 400,000 people in Iceland. Am I remembering that correct? Yeah, exactly. My, my father is a is a, a professor of political science, and he has been pointing out this for the past few months that this is going to be a disaster for the third world, especially because they just don't yes. have uh, the clout or the money or the um, loan uh, ability to gather loans to pay for this in the short term. So they're going to be left far behind, and that means this could actually create a pocket in Africa and in parts of the poorer parts of Asia where COVID is going to be an ongoing problem for years because they cannot inoculate the population. And what are we going to do? Are we going to completely shut off that part of the world from travel? Well, and then there's the secondary problem, which is, you know, what we're seeing right now in the UK, which is the more widespread a viral infection is, the more rapidly the virus mutates. And, you know, God forbid there will be a mutation that will be resistant to the vaccine and that may be more mm-hmm. lethal. I mean, this is, you know, this is related to uh, SARS and MERS. And SARS had, what, like a 40% fatality rate? And MERS has like a, t- a <clears throat> 10 or 15% fatality rate? I mean, this is only, a, you know, 1 or 2 or 3% fatality rate. But, yeah, you know, bad things can happen with these coronaviruses. I lived in China during the SARS outbreak, the first one. It was very educational in, in, in terms of what's happened now. You know, they're down at three deaths per million people, whereas here in the United States, we're over 900 deaths per million people. In the Icelandic parliament, as a member of the Pirate Party, can you give us a, a just a quick thumbnail of, uh, you know, what the political landscape in Iceland is now? I, I know a lot was shifting when you and I met in Iceland, geez, it seems like a decade ago, after the crash, you know, after the housing crash and everything, and there were some bankers who went to jail and things. How's Iceland doing, and what's the political atmosphere now? 
Well, the bankers mostly got out or were able to serve their sentences mostly out of jail. Mm. It resulted in famous scenes like them flying around in helicopters from the jail to their private residences, which was just egregious to see. And people really never got uh, any closure uh, on that that whole thing. But uh, as members of the Pirate Party, we did manage to bring down one government. Uh, we brought down a government that was uh, caught uh, uh, pardoning a, a sex offender or, or giving him rather a, um, a clean slate after he had served his sentence so that it would no longer be on his record and he would be able to pursue his career as a lawyer. Uh, and mm. this was a pedophile who had, was a convicted pedophile and, and uh, we sort of exposed that and it, it brought down the government. But funnily enough, <laughs> in the next election, <clears throat> The same government was more or less brought back in, and we lost actually mm. two. Um, no, we lost three uh, members of parliament. So we were punished yeah. for exposing. A but you, you still have. Yeah, forgive my interrupting. I, I see that I have thirty seconds here. You still have free Sorry. education and free health care across Iceland for all Icelandic citizens, right? It's being brought back. The, the current government on the right wing is trying to reduce the free health care and make it more privatized. So we have a lot of issues oh going forward in future episodes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Gunnar, it's great to hear from you. Thanks for watching us, uh, on, I guess, on Facebook Live over there in Iceland. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Health Justice Now, Single Payer and What Comes Next by Timothy Faust. And this is from the introduction. A secret scream rings through America. It rings down the sterile fluorescent hallways of our hospitals. It rings over our rural towns and our native reservations. It rings through our prisons, the bellies of our great cities. It rings in our farms, in our fields, our streets, and our sewers, our bodies, and our blood. And we are cursed to never hear it clearly until, at last, we realize it has been our own mouth screaming and we are lost. A child born today inherits, in that secret, a new American squalor. The skeletal remains of the American cities, the bleached bones of the American suburbs. This secret is a birthright of continual exploitation, pumped for labor and drained of cash and then punished for the resulting suffering. Punished for being hungry, punished for being sick, punished for being pregnant, punished for being poor, punished for being black or brown, punished for being queer, for being unlucky, for being. At the base of that suffering is lodged a little truth, like a knot in the stomach. In America, sickness makes you poor, and poorness makes you sick. This is a book about that relationship and why it happens, and why it's unnecessary, and what we can do to fix it. The cosmic whirling of God's great slot machine has not determined that some people are fated to suffer while others flourish. We have the resources to take care of everyone, and yet we refuse to do so. Your medical debt and medical bills are unnecessary, but we have chosen to make them necessary. These are structural problems with structural causes, and many of them share roots in how we pay for health care. This is a book about health care and health finance. They are different. Healthcare is anything that helps you stay safe and healthy. It's a kind of freedom from and within your own body. Health finance is the method by which we as a country pay for that freedom and by which we decide who gets to have it and who doesn't. Healthcare is more than what happens to you in the hospital. Healthcare is whether your home makes you sick or your food makes you sick or your environment makes you sick or whether you have enough money to afford the things that keep you healthy. In America, the structure of corporate health care has convinced us that some people deserve health care and some people don't. This is a book about that corporate health finance, about private insurance and private insurers. For half a century, they've convinced us that they're the only things that keep us or could ever keep us from the utter financial ruination of illness. They've sold us different inadequate insurance plans and persuaded us that this is a form of great liberty while chipping away at our freedoms for profit and holding our bodies and our children's bodies hostage. This is a book about single-payer health care, a health finance model in which we pool our abundant collective resources to provide health care to all people. 
It is a common model across the world. We have the potential not just to enact a single-payer program in America, but to build the greatest health care program among any so-called developed democracy. I believe beyond any doubt that single-payer is demonstrably sound and imminently feasible. I believe a properly ambitious and well-structured single-payer program will do more than any other American social program of this generation to soothe the burns, to resuscitate the spirit, to nourish the moral will of the American people. I believe it will loosen the loathsome manacles of American health finance, an exploitative institution that profits by plundering from us our own bodily autonomy and that anchors the larger exploitation that holds those whom we love as captive leverage to guarantee our servitude to abusive employers or domestic partners, to those who seek to dominate us both in the office and in the hospital. I believe this nation owes its people whose labor has created its rich banquet, the safety and agency of health care. I believe this health care is greater in scope than that which happens upon an operating table. I believe that housing, food, income, and more, the components of basic human dignity, are health care. And I believe our work is that of striving toward justice for all people. And I therefore believe, I have to believe, that single-payer health care is our moral imperative. Single-payer is our tool. Single-payer is our weapon. Single-payer is our first step. The book, Health Justice Now, Timothy Faust. Jonathan in Portland. Hey, Jonathan, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. So I wanted to bring your attention to an article published in the British Medical Journal on November 27th called COVID-19 Vaccines, Where Are the Data? And in that, they bring up the idea that none of the phase three trials have been published or peer-reviewed. And they start the article out by saying that these vaccines are essentially announced through press releases. So just, right. just Jonathan, start from, uh, let me just yeah. stop you for a second. Was yeah. this an article or a letter to the editor? Because usually this sort of thing it's is a letter to the It's an opinion piece, but there have no, been yeah. no Okay, so it's a letter to the three. editor. Yes, that's right. I think that everything you've said, you know, that, that, that we have not seen peer-reviewed results on phase three studies is true. Yeah. But what's your point? All right. So I, I just want to start from there. I think that, you know, people want to know about the Pfizer vaccine, so we should start from there. There's also an excellent article in the New York Times, which discusses the differences between the terms efficacy and effectiveness, which is, are terms that are getting right. conflated, and people need to understand a bit. But um, the vaccine has There's, there's been, also, Jonathan, and if you're being skeptical about the vaccine, or, I'm not or being even skeptical, if you're not... I'm just trying to be clear. Okay. There's also a really great thread, a discussion thread over at uh, nakedcapitalism.com, about how do you know? <laughs> Basically, you know, it's, it's, it was looking that's at the, the discussion at we're the, having. At, we're discussing how do you know? Yeah. So that's the discussion. Yeah, we're exactly. And 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 the and the problem is that I mean, there was only three hundred people out of the thirty thousand who got the who got sick after the vaccine, and and but we have no idea how many people were actually exposed. So these efficacy and effectiveness rates, both um, right at this moment, are are largely speculative, highly hopeful probably close, but, you know, we're really not going to know uh, uh, solid stuff. I mean, we're, we're crashing this science. I mean, everybody's acknowledging that. They, 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 none of these vaccines have gotten approval. They've all gotten experimental approval. Yeah, I, I don't think everyone's and, acknowledging that. And, and I'm going to take one anyway. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I, I just think it's important for us if we're Ed, we want to be educated and we want to be clear about the language we're using. I think they have studied efficacy. I think they do know efficacy in, in a, with, within certain parameters, right? And you pointed out the parameters that don't exist, which are um, the studies only show people who came down with symptoms, right? They don't, they don't really tell people who are asymptomatic. But we won't know the effectiveness until... They also don't know, of the 30,000 people who got the vaccine, they have no idea how many of those people were actually exposed to the virus. And that's the big, in my mind, that's the big yes. flaw. Yes, and it was actually 43,000. But, um, 43,000. But, yeah, there, there were 170 that came down that were identified as having symptoms. And then they form a ratio between the ones that uh, were vaccinated and the ones that were not. And that ratio right. is what determines the 95% efficacy. But effectiveness right. is real world application. Right. And that's something we're gonna know retrospectively. 
six, eight, nine months down the road. But at this point, Jonathan, Jonathan, thank you for the call. At this point, given the uh, apparent low side effect profile, although again we didn't know about um, uh, you know the, the side effects of the swine flu vaccine during Jerry Ford's presidency for almost a year, um, I'm still going to do it. Brian in Lansing, Michigan. Hey, Brian, what's up? I wonder if you heard of the the drug ivermectin. It's already a drug approved by the FDA. Pierre Corey brought it to Congress, and it's apparently um, they've done some some studies on it, and it's shown in some of those studies to be effective against COVID nineteen. But it's a yeah. it's a generic Brian, drug, I, and so yeah, Brian, I'm going to stop you right there because. This is how conspiracy theories start. There are actually a number of drugs that have been found to be useful against COVID-19. There's, there's immunosuppressant drugs that work for some people. There are steroids. In fact, the biggest one, methyltrexate, I think it's called, is a steroid that they're using now to prevent you know, the inflammatory response. They tried the antivirals. They didn't seem to work all that well. You've got the cocktail that Trump is taking. So there are drugs out there. But what happens in the fever swamps of conspiracy theory is somebody will pick one particular drug, and it might be one that they own stock in the company, or it might just be they just picked it out of, you know, and this is how it was with, with uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine and, and, and chloroquine, you know, the old malaria drug, um, you know, that, that Trump was invested in at one point, and uh, as far as we can tell. And, and they'll say, aha, here, we have the solution. We just need to do this. And, and, and the reason it's being kept away from you is because it's generic, and as was hydroxychloroquine. And because it's generic, nobody can make a fortune on it. So sorry, you're screwed. Um, no, I'm not buying it. Uh, yes, there are lots of drugs that have promise. They're experimenting with all kinds of things. But let's be careful about promoting anything on the air to millions of people naming the drug. I, you know, unless, unless you can show me a peer-reviewed scientific paper and get it to me, you know, tweet it to me so I can see it in advance, I do not want those kind of calls going on the air. I'm not going to let that happen anymore. And my apologies to all of you listening for that. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Governor Gretchen Whitmer now calling out Trump. Why aren't we getting vaccines here in Michigan? The bottleneck appears to be the White House. Yeah, surprise, surprise. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. You're not free if you're sick, particularly if you can't afford to pay for your own health care. And nobody has been more on the front lines of this than National Nurses United, nationalnursesunited.org, the largest nurses union in the country and one of the biggest advocates for a national uh, single-payer health care system. Marissa Lee, a registered nurse with National Nurses United, she's the nurse leader, is uh, with us. National Nurses, by the way, is the Twitter handle, is uh, on the line with us. Uh, Marissa, I understand there's a new study that shows that hospitals, in many cases, 
Most of these giant corporate hospitals, in fact, uh, 53 of the top 100 in the country are owned by that one company that Rick Scott used to run that he committed the largest Medicare fraud in the history of the United States and then took that money and became governor of Florida and now senator from Florida. That uh, these hospitals, you know, in retail, if you go into a store and you buy, you know, a piece of clothing that costs twelve dollars, uh, Keystone is the normal markup in retail. It's called Keystone, which which means that if you if you buy a, a twenty dollar uh, shirt, it costs the store ten dollars. In other words, they double the price at retail. But eighteen times, is that what I'm seeing here? That's exactly what you're seeing here. First of all, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk to you, but 18 times. So if you have an item that is $100, the hospital is charging $1,800 for that item. That is mind-boggling. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And as a nurse, I see the consequences of people not getting health care or being afraid to go to the hospital because of the cost. So now we see patients that are sicker. Okay. I'm a labor and delivery nurse. I've been a labor and delivery nurse for 36 years. And you would think that it's, you know, for mothers having babies, um, it would be easy. I have a patient, my favorite patient, and she comes in every week. She's full-time employed, but can't afford the deductibles of her insurance. Cannot afford to go see we seek prenatal care, so she seeks prenatal care at the hospital. What is that saying? That this country is falling apart medically. And what I mean by that is that the cost of getting care has increased almost 411%. So most of us can't afford to get any kind of health care, any kind. And if yeah. you do, it's the minimum. And then your co-pays and your premiums are going to be astronomical. Okay. Yeah, it, it you know, really like I, truly is nuts. I grew up in Michigan. First two businesses that I started were in Michigan. And this was back in the 70s. You know, we had a, a, a little business with 18 employees. We, we provided health care to all of our employees. Um, I remember it very well because I wrote the checks. And it cost me $35 per month per employee. And that was for, for a full family policy. But in Michigan at that time, uh, this was in Lansing, Michigan, the three hospitals in Lansing, St. Lawrence was run by the Catholic Church. Sparrow was run by a nonprofit foundation that was endowed by a guy named Sparrow back in the REOs days, uh, back in the 20s. And, and then the third one was Ingham County. It was run by the county. All three hospitals were nonprofit hospitals. The, uh, the law in Michigan required that the insurance that, that I was providing my employees, which was Blue Cross Blue Shield, was provided by a nonprofit corporation that was state-based. It was Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, and it was nonprofit. And, and expenses were not that great. Our, you know, our oldest kid was born 45 years ago in, at St. Mary's Hospital in Livonia. At that time, I was working as an engineer at RCA. I don't recall, and I wasn't making a lot of money. I mean, I was kind of on the bottom of the food chain in, in the engineering world. I don't recall paying a penny in terms of co-pays or anything, and that was in a fancy hospital. But again, it was a nonprofit hospital. It was run by the Catholic Church. What has changed? How did this change? And how do we get it back? How do we get back to some sense of normalcy? Okay, what has changed? Hospitals have become a corporation, a corporation for profit. It's not any longer about the patient. It's about making profits. For example, the corporation that I work for is the biggest, biggest offender and I work for HCA, the biggest offender of market gouging, increasing prices. And yet, as a nurse, as a frontline nurse, I don't have the equipment to take care of those patients. And I don't have the equipment to protect myself. What do we need to do? We need to have a universal care system like Medicare for All. And people are saying that Medicare for All is a socialist, but it's not a socialist. We're taking care of our patients, we're taking care of our people, and we're, nobody's left behind. People nowadays fall to the crack. And when they come into this hospital, to my hospital, they are really, really sick. Medicare 
for all will provide preventive care so patients don't wait till they're an extreme. They're not deathly ill. We need to focus on what our society needs. It's not being provided. ACA was the leading step, but we need to take it a little further. And that's where Medicare for All comes into play. It takes it a little farther, looks at the individual, doesn't forget that individual that fell to the crack, doesn't forget that pregnant woman that can't get in any health insurance because her co-pays are so high and she's, you know, she's fully employed. Doesn't forget that individual. We're talking with Marissa Lee, uh, RN, the nurse leader at National Nurses United. Uh, NationalNursesUnited.org is the website, the Twitter handle, at National Nurses. One of the premier nursing organizations in the country and one of the leading advocates in this nation for single-payer health care and has been for a long time. Had so much admiration for y'all. What sort of changes are you seeing on the horizon now that new administration is going to be coming in? Are you and the folks in your union getting the sense that Medicare for All or something close to that might be a possibility? I, I see that. I see that because it's not about the previous administration was, was about that one top percent. This administration is looking at the total not forgetting that lower middle class or, or lower class or those that can't afford, whereas the previous administration, it was about the profit. Those that, that were at the top 1% and everybody else was irrelevant. Everybody else was, they're fine. They'll do fine. They're fine. Just like, mm. you know, he said this pandemic was a hoax. I've seen right. the effects of the pandemic. So, hmm. Marissa, in Utah, one of the hospitals there is reporting that they're getting these COVID truthers, people trying to sneak into the hospital with cameras, thinking that they're going to find that the ICU is actually empty and there's no COVID patients there. Have you seen anything <laughs> like that in, 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 where you're practicing? Okay, in, in, I'm in Florida. Uh, not to this moment, but I will gladly show them the COVID unit. I will gladly yeah. welcome them in and show them how an abundance and, and the shifting of patients. And the shifting of patients that are still COVID positive, but we need the bed for a sicker patient. So I will That's welcome amazing. them. I will definitely welcome yeah. them. Within the boundaries of privacy and all that, of course. Marissa yeah. Lee. The nurse leader at National Nurses United, nationalnursesunited.org. Marissa, thanks so much. Thank you for giving Thank me your, your time and listening to my, my, my plea. This is the Tom Hartman Program. National Nurses United is just a great organization and worthy of your support. Maria in Ontario, California. Hey, Maria, what's up? We've lost a close to 350,000 Americans because of this man's neglect and choosing to ignore the recommendations of science. Oh, it's worse than I that, Maria. They actually decided in the White House in April that they wanted to get as many Americans infected as quickly as possible to create, quote, herd immunity. And that's why Trump was going around doing his maskless rallies. He was trying to increase infection rates, which happened. Every county that, that he did a rally in, infections exploded. And over the next two months, those infections spread out over about a 500, uh, about a 250-mile radius, 500-mile diameter around them. And then, and then you had the Sturgis motorcycle rally that Christy Nome, the, the governor of South, South Dakota, encouraged. And that led to probably tens, probably over, over, well, several million anyway, infections. Forgive my interrupting, Maria, but back to you. That, that, all the, that, that supports even more my concept here. After a war, and we are in a war with this virus, after a war, there's generally a military tribunal or some type of tribunal, and people get charged with war crimes. My opinion is this man needs to be charged with something at least on the level of negligent homicide for his for what they've done and for the loss of American life. I wonder if there's anyone else who thinks the same way. Yeah, I agree with you, Maria. And I would say not just Donald Trump. I would throw Scott Atlas into that. You know, the quack doctor from Fox News that Trump brought in to, to run the coronavirus response, who openly said he wants herd immunity. 
and uh, Dr. Robert Redfield, the guy from CDC who is now trying to kind of turn a new leaf and be a good guy, but he ripped apart the CDC. And, and I mean, these guys need to basically stand trial. I'm, I'm totally with you. Maria, thank you for the call. Andy in Minneapolis. Hey, Max, uh, or excuse me. Hey, Andy, what's up? I just wanted to point out what's happening here in Minnesota. Uh, about four weeks ago, our governor shut down our restaurants, and then in the last couple of weeks, it's been a pretty big groundswelling of of open back Minnesota, you know, open the restaurants and so forth. Well, it was really interesting. It was this, this last week, a couple of restaurants defied the order, and they got quickly their hands slapped for doing it. And there was some a report that came out in, in, in one of our local media sources that stated that one of the owner, co-owners of one of the restaurants that was basically featured on this website to reopen Minnesota and so forth, was recently got, got in an incident with the police department in a nearby city where he shot at them, and now he's charged with attempted murder. So I'm really, my point here is there's, there's just this, this, this thing about supporting the police and stop the steal, and these people are mindlessly blaming our governor for all, for all these ills because he's this tyranny that, they're, that, they're, that they have to deal with. And here's a guy that's shooting at cop and not supporting the police. We have these people blindly support this blind issue. And I just wanted to point that out to your listeners. It's really frustrating just to see this day in and day out, just as a per- from a personal, just being a human being. So that was my point. Thank right. <laughs> Thanks well, for uh, taking my call. And, and, and let me add to that, Andy. In most of the European countries, and it varies from country to country, but the variations tend to be 5 or 10% variations. Um, the, the federal government of every country from Norway to, to Germany to France to Spain, the federal government is picking up payrolls for people who can't work. Um, in Germany, it's 80%. In Norway, I think it's, it might even be 90%. But it's, it's all in that neighborhood. So it doesn't even pass through the corporations. It doesn't require bookkeeping. It doesn't create expense for the corporations. The federal government is sending checks directly because they know how much you, you earn because they see your tax returns, right? They are sending people 80% or 90% of what they used to earn. Plus, in most of these countries, the federal governments are paying small businesses what they would have to pay for rent and heat and you know just the basic expenses to stay alive throughout the COVID period until they can reopen. And as a result of that, you are not seeing on TV pictures of a bar and restaurant owners in Norway or in, in Switzerland or in Germany or in France or Spain, um, you know, going postal the way they are in the United States. But here in the United States, we've got millions of small businesses that are funded and financed by families, individual families who have mortgaged their homes and things to keep their, you know, to start their business or keep it going. And they are looking at seeing not just, you know, the, their business lost, but, you know, in most cases, these people have guaranteed loans to the banks. You can't, if you run a small business in America, it's damn hard to declare bankruptcy. For the last 20 years or so, the banks just will not take anything that's not personally guaranteed. And so you've got people in the United States, entrepreneurs in the United States, business people in the United States who are looking at not just being personally wiped out, but having their entire family wiped out, maybe for a generation or two as a result of this, all because Mitch McConnell in the Senate would not go along with the HEROES Act, which actually solved this problem back in May. A $3 trillion piece of legislation that would have done what Europe does. And Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate said, screw the American entrepreneurs. Screw the bar owners. Screw the restaurant owners. We don't give a damn about any of them. We just want to make sure taxes don't go up on our rich donors. And as a result of that, maybe as a benefit in their minds, now you've got these folks going, I'm on the verge of losing everything and I'm mad as hell. And I don't know who to take it out on, so I'm going to shoot at the local cops or I'm going to, you know, go out and protest or I'm going to, you know, whatever it may be. I'm going to I'm going to hold maskless Sunday here in my restaurant. And and as a result, people are dying. It's tearing our country apart. And what you are looking at is the failure of government led by the Republican Party. And I think it's a friggin' crime. So this is what Republicans do. They only exist to serve their billionaire and corporate masters and their billionaire and corporate masters return the favor by largely funding every Republican member of Congress and every Republican member of the House and Senate of every state in the country or state assembly or House of Burgesses or whatever it may be. This is who they are. This is what they do. So anyhow, we need to, we need to be reaching out. Reach out to Congress at 202-224-3121. Speak to both your senators and your member of the House of Representatives or reach out by email. You can reach out by social media. 
Tell them to put the tens of millions of unemployed and hungry people in America ahead of the three martini launches and the liability limits for meatpacking plants and giant corporations, you know, warehouse operations and things where, where people have been forced to, to work under conditions that have caused them to get sick and many have died. And those employers are now saying, hey, <laughs> stop my employees from suing me. I just killed a few of them. Um, yeah, time to end that. Ron DeSantis was on TV saying, well, you know, we don't have to worry all that much about this, you know, mask mandate thing. I mean, you know, look at the states that have mask mandates. Uh, you know, look at Illinois. Look at uh, look at uh, uh, Minnesota. They've, they had a mask mandate and now they people are getting infected there, too. This is absolute brilliance from one of the smartest governors in America, Ron DeSantis. Um, I, uh, along the same lines, I uh, caught this meme the other day. I saw it over on, um, I believe it was Democratic Underground. I'm not sure where, where I first saw this, but I've seen it since then. I've seen it four or five different places around the web. You know, it's got a picture of a couple of people wearing a mask and, and coats. And it says, I see people wearing winter coats and hats. What a bunch of sheep. LOL. I did my own research and found out that only 1,500 people died from hypothermia in the U.S. last year. That's only 0.0005% of the population. They live in fear of something that 99.9995% of people won't die from. And it gets better. A lot of the people who died from hypothermia were wearing coats and hats, and they still died. Coats don't work. I mean, that's, you know, apparently the, 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 the main Republican message now, right? Masks don't, so, hey, you know, when you go in for surgery, if you're a Republican, just tell your surgeon, ah, you don't have to wear a mask. You can just breathe into my open wounds. Right. Governor Kristi Noem of uh, South Dakota has turned her state into one of the hottest COVID hotspots literally in the world. She says mask mandates aren't the solution. You have to wonder, South Dakota, does she wear a coat when she goes outside? I mean, by Republican logic, coats don't work, right? What these Republican governors are doing is trying to imitate Trump in order to suck up to his basically neo-Nazi, crazed, right-wing, hate radio, marinated uh, followers. They think it's going to help them politically. They think it's going to turn them into heroes in the future. And I think that they're going to see what, what we're going to see is the collapse of the Trump coalition, if you want to call it that, or the Trump movement. It's going to collapse just like the Tea Party movement collapsed. And for the same reason, because there's no there there. It's all conspiracy theories and weirdness. But in the meantime, the U.S. is averaging 47 COVID deaths per 100,000. Put that number in your brain, 47 out of every 100,000 Americans excuse me, out of every 100,000 Americans, 47 die from COVID. The death rate in Taiwan is 0.03. Three one-hundredths of a person per 100,000 people. In other words, you'd have to have 30 million people to have one death in Taiwan, or maybe it's 3 million. I I don't do math in my head well. But in any case... Vietnam is 0.04. Thailand is 0.09. China is 0.34. Keep in mind, we are 47.00. New Zealand and Singapore tie at 0.51. South Korea is way up there at 1.02. And Norway has an embarrassing 6.17 people who die for every 100,000 Norwegians. We are at 47. Those were all governments that took COVID seriously, that imposed mask mandates and social distancing, and whose governments protected their people. Here, though, you know, Republicans gave us a quack doctor from Fox News who was promoting herd immunity. I mean, this is literally the most massive health crisis and economic crisis in a century. And finally, the Arizona Republican Party asked the Republicans of Arizona, they are willing to die for Donald Trump. A guy by the name of Ali Akbar tweeted this uh, stop the steal hashtag, you know, which is the whole thing that goes with the conspiracy theory that the, the election has been stolen from Donald Trump. 
And in tweeting this, he wrote, I am willing to give my life for this fight. Honest to God, I've seen the tweet. The Arizona Republican Party retweeted his tweet with the comment, he is, are you? He is willing to die for Donald Trump, are you? This is the largest political party in a major state, the Arizona Republican Party, openly inviting death, violence. Are you willing to die for Donald Trump? It's mind-boggling. Meanwhile, speaking of dying for Donald Trump, this uh, pastor in Florida, Florida megachurch pastor, Guillermo Maldano, he says, uh, the COVID vaccine is a plot to inject people with the mark of the beast. They're preparing the structure for the Antichrist through the vaccine. They alter your DNA. They're made to track you down. Don't take the vaccine. Believe in the blood of Jesus. Believe in divine immunity. The crazies just like never end. It is a remarkable time that we are living through. You know, sometimes it is stressful, but I keep reminding myself, this is the stuff that history books will note. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. And I don't just mean the pandemic. I mean, the, the whole thing, having a criminal in the White House, the whole thing. It's amazing. Listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.